Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Hi, this is Scott Galloway, NYU professor, best-selling author, serial entrepreneur, and the host of the Prop G Markets podcast. For nearly two years, Prop G Markets has brought listeners unfiltered analysis on high-flying stocks, burgeoning sectors, stupid acquisitions, and master of the universe CEOs. Starting May 20th, Prop G Markets is launching a new feed with two episodes per week. What a thrill! The good news? I know how to get your rich. The answer... It's on Prop G Markets. Don't miss out. Listen and subscribe to Prop G Markets wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. As many of you know, we launched Stay Tuned just over a year ago, and we've been thrilled by the response in tweets, emails, and voicemails. You've said that the podcast has helped you make sense of the chaos in Washington and around the country, and that's very gratifying. Something else I hear is that many of you would like more of what we do here, more show, maybe even commercial-free. Well, we've taken your feedback to heart. So we're starting something new. It's a membership service called Cafe Insider that will bring you more content from Cafe and me throughout the week. The Stay Tuned with Preet podcast will continue to air every Thursday, cost-free. But Cafe Insider members will get this new weekly podcast. Ann Milgram, former New Jersey Attorney General and a regular on Stay Tuned, will join me for an unfiltered conversation where we'll break down the headlines and take stock of what's happening. In addition to the new pod, When there's major breaking news, I'll be texting the insider community my real-time reactions. We will host what I call town calls, quarterly conference calls with me and, at times, insider contributors. We'll also make bonus content from Stay Tuned available to Cafe Insider members, a weekly newsletter with my recommendations for what to read and watch, and early access to live events. The Stay Tuned podcast will continue to be free to listeners every Thursday, and Cafe Insider gives us a chance to engage with our community the whole week. So to sign up for Cafe Insider, go to cafe.com slash preet and enter your email. Again, that's cafe.com slash preet. Enter your email and you'll receive more information about Cafe Insider and how to be part of conversations like these. Today you're getting the first episode of the Cafe Insider podcast. It's all about Sessions' resignation, his successor Matthew Whitaker, and the implications for the Mueller probe. And so on that exciting note, from Cafe, welcome to Cafe Insider. I'm Preet Bharara. And I'm Ann Milgram. Hi, Ann. Hi. Welcome to the first episode. It's great to be here. Have you finished all your Halloween candy? Oh, not yet, but I'm working my way through it. Yeah. How much of it did you eat on election night? <laughs> way too much. Like a lot, right? Way too much. So we have a lot to discuss. Um, the election was barely over, and yep. actually not over, because you're still counting in a lot of places, when the Attorney General of the United States was forced to resign. So I guess among the things we should talk about today are Jeff Sessions, his legacy, if any, how he was shown the exit door, the new guy, Matt Whitaker, who's the acting attorney general, what he might do, what effect there might be on the Mueller investigation, if any, and maybe who the permanent attorney general will be. So that's a lot of stuff to cover. cover, So why don't we start with, um, with Jeff Sessions. Now, you and I both knew him somewhat 
when he was a senator because we both worked in the U.S. Senate. You for John Corzine and me for Senator Schumer. What do you think the legacy of Jeff Sessions is during his time as AG? As the attorney general, as the sort of chief law enforcement officer of the country, you know, I, I would not give him incredibly high marks uh, on a personal level, sort of evaluating how he thought about crime in America, sentencing, a, a lot of things that I think are really important. That being said, I do think that he he was playing the president's playbook. So I think from, you know, the president's perspective, put the Mueller piece aside, you <laughs> way, know, to the side. way to the side. If we could take that off the table, you've got the Religious Freedom Task Force. You've got, you know, sort of a recurrence of the war on drugs. You've got a lot of focus on the MS-13 and gangs. So I think from a political sort of perspective, he was doing a lot of what the president wants. He wasn't seen, at least from the people I know within the department, still as a great leader. He wasn't seen as someone who sort of, you know, people could really get behind. But what is interesting is that I think in some key ways he did the right thing. It's sort of mixed bag, right? On the one hand, the one thing that he did that was clearly ethical, and we're going we're gonna to talk about recusal for the new guy in a moment, but the one thing he clearly did that was appropriate was recusing himself from the Russia investigation, which happens to be the one thing notwithstanding all these things you correctly say about carrying the president's water on immigration and a whole host of other issues, the one thing that rankled the president the most was this ethical decision made by Jeff Sessions. Do you think he had a choice? Do you think Sessions had a choice as to whether to recuse? So it depends on what you think the responsibility of the attorney general is. Um, I presume that the ethics people, and you and I have dealt with them, and I'm sure you had an ethics officer in New Jersey when you were attorney general. Yes. You know, you're the boss. The attorney general is, you know, the boss of the office. And when the ethics people say there's an appearance of a conflict, then I think it's it's a little bit up to you if you are more senior to them. If there's an actual conflict, I think you have less choice. It seems like it was a no-brainer for Jeff Sessions to recuse himself. So w- whether he, as a regulatory matter and a, and a statutory matter, had to recuse himself, I don't know what the consequence would have been had he not. I mean, in some ways, I think he made the rule of law choice. When those people come to you, he's, he did the, I think he did the right thing by listening to them. And I think that that was a huge benefit for the Department of Justice, that the head of the department followed the recommendations of the ethics officer. Yeah, I think the other thing about Jeff Sessions, that people who like him and are close to him have even suggested to me, is that he came into that office with kind of an 80s mentality about law enforcement and about... All sorts of matters? I agree completely. It's like the day he walked out of being U.S. attorney and then the day he walked in as being AG, he didn't understand that like 25 years of change in the world (laughs) had gone gone by. Because he had been the U.S. attorney in Alabama for a period of time before he became a senator. And so his recollection of, of, of all things and about the level of punitiveness that should be applied to people who are charged with drug crimes, you name it, he was back in the 80s. I agree. I love the 80s for many reasons. I grew up in the 80s, but that is not <laughs> that is not something that we should go back to. Jeff Sessions and Cindy Lauper. <laughs> Although I like Cindy Lauper. All right, so the, the way that Jeff Sessions went out is peculiar to some folks, right? I mean, I have some experience with being shown the door, and I insisted on being fired for various reasons that I've covered on other broadcasts. So Jeff Sessions makes very clear, he puts in a resignation letter saying, at your request, I'm submitting my resignation, was it's a fired? very strange letter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, having seen a ton of resignation letters, and yeah. this is incredibly unusual. He essentially says, you're firing me, so I'm resigning. You've given me no choice but to resign. Yeah, so I can't figure out, and it has a legal implication that maybe a lot of people don't appreciate, the difference between being fired and resigning on who a potential replacement can be. So was he fired 
I think there's a really interesting argument. So the president can only do what he did with Whitaker if Sessions voluntarily resigned under the Vacancy Reform Act. If a vacancy happens in a Senate-confirmed position, like the attorney general, it becomes a question of whether or not they resigned or were fired. If they've resigned, then the president has the ability to put someone like Whitaker, who has not been Senate-confirmed, in that position for up to 210 days. If the person is fired, then it has to be somebody else who's, I think, Senate-confirmed, right? right. The, the president's hands are, are much more tied. And obviously, the principle behind that is to make sure that the Senate has and retains its advice and consent role, right? There are some jobs that the law has required Senate confirmation for, not just judges, but also attorney general, U.S. attorney, all sorts of positions. And so on the one hand, common sense tells you that Congress wants to make sure if there's a vacancy, someone dies or resigns um, or is incapacitated in some way, that you want to have a replacement and give some leeway to the president to put a person in there, whether it's a staffer or the former chief of staff or someone like Whitaker. On the other hand, you don't want to give the president free reign to bypass the Senate's role by firing someone then installing you know, some puppet who doesn't go through a confirmation process. And so the question is, which of those is happening here? Right. I mean, my reading of the letter is that he was fired. I think you called it constructive constructive termination or something, right? I mean, it's I don't know what we want to call it, but I think there's a real question based. He says, I am resigning, but at your request, like basically you told me I have to resign. Now, does anybody litigate that? I'm not so sure. And obviously he was trying to, he was trying to change the supervision of Mueller in the investigation. So now, Matt Whitaker, do you know him personally? I do not know him personally. Do you know him personally? I do not know him personally. But I think we've learned a lot about him in the last 24 hours. He was a former U.S. attorney in Iowa, ran for political office, I think once or, or twice, twice, failed both times, was brought in fairly recently to be the chief of staff to Jeff Sessions. But he said a number of things. So one of the questions that people have is, what will happen to the Mueller investigation? Can I can yeah. I pause us even before we yeah, get please, there? Please. Because I think I think what we see happening, he was not a prosecutor. And one of the things I looked for a lot yesterday was what's his background in law enforcement and criminal justice. He ran for office. He was very active in politics in Iowa, and then he became the U.S. attorney with essentially no prior experience that I could find. And you know, maybe it's out there somewhere that I missed it, but I couldn't find any prior experience until he became U.S. attorney. And this is part of the playbook, which is to essentially put a very political person in a position that then credentials them to have a job like being attorney general. And I think we should talk about that because when I was AG, I thought the hardest thing to do was to actively say no to law enforcement, like to look at things and be able to say, yeah, we should, you know, we should get a search warrant for that or no, we shouldn't. And that ability to say no came out of my experience as a criminal prosecutor for years. And Because you have a feel. I mean, what people don't get is when you first start as a prosecutor and even a few months in and people are telling you the evidence about a case and they tell you, here's what the witnesses said, uh, or you listen to the witnesses yourself it takes some time before you appreciate the weight of the evidence you have and whether or not it's okay to go forward. Um, it's not like connecting the dots. It's not, a, it's not formulaic. And so, especially when you become a supervisor, you become the head of an office, U.S. attorney or attorney general, you need to have that like radar, that antenna. So, so I think we should be questioning whether or not he is qualified to, to sit in the role he sits. And look, he's obviously very politically connected. He's been politically active. He's worked in administrations. But being the U.S. Attorney General requires an, an incredible amount of skill, and particularly in the criminal space. I think a related question for you is, is this a trial balloon? 
is the idea that Matt Whitaker becomes the actual appointed attorney general that has to go through Senate confirmation, or is it likely to be somebody else? You know, I don't know. I don't know. But the fact that it's Whitaker, given what you just said about his lack of, you know, on the ground prosecutorial experience, notwithstanding his appointment as U.S. attorney, no offense to them, but to a small office in Iowa. It's not like it it's, was... It's how small is it? I don't know. Small. It's not like... The it's not like that, your old office. The, office, the offices yeah. that you and I led, which are substantial management and leadership jobs. But the fact that there are so many people at the department, including Rod Rosenstein, including the Solicitor General, including um, you know heads of the, of the criminal division, of the civil division, other folks who have continuity at the place, haven't just been there for five minutes, know a lot about the institution of the department. They were all passed over for this person who is most conspicuously known, at least in the last few days, for what? For saying negative things about the Mueller investigation. So you know, I, we always want to be reasonable and measured about these things, about our analysis, um, and not jump to conclusions about what someone might do. But the combination of Donald Trump nonstop saying that the Russian investigation is a hoax, making it clear that he wants to shut it down, then firing sessions the day after, essentially, firing sessions the day after the election, and then passing over hundreds of other qualified people to pick the person who's most known for casting aspersions on the Mueller investigation, and not only casting aspersions on the Mueller investigation, which we make clear, being very specific in writing and on television about the ways in which uh, not only the Mueller investigation is not proper, but the way you constrict it and the way you impede it. And he said, you know, just, just to tick off a couple, he said, among other things, that, that one way to choke off the Mueller investigation is simply to deny it resources. You, you cut its budget so, so much that they can't do anything. And another was to cut off the scope of the investigation. So why don't, we, why don't we discuss all the ways in which this new acting attorney general... So let's start with resources, because I think it's it's worth pointing out that when the new Congress comes in in January, and that's a couple months away, and so there's a lot that can happen in the next two months that we need to be very wary of. But when the new Congress comes in, the Department of Justice's budget goes through the United States Congress. And so do I think that he could cut funding for the for the investigation for Mueller's team? The short answer is he could do it. But do I think it will stand ultimately? The most powerful committees in the in the Senate and the House, among the most powerful committees are the appropriations committees, the people who give out the money. Yeah, but why do you think the Republicans on the Senate side uh, would would aid the Mueller investigation? You know, I don't think the Republicans on the Senate side would, but it's a it's a joint act of Congress to get a budget out. Right. And so the Senate and the and the House has to agree. And what that does is basically after January, and again, this is a couple months out, but after January, I think that the Democrats in, in Congress have an ability to basically say, we're not cutting that, we're refunding that, or the bill that gets passed, we're going to assure that there's a certain amount of money. The problem is that's a bit of a chess match, and that requires a lot of back and forth. And could he tomorrow basically say, I'm going to cut resources? The answer is yes. I don't think he will for a variety of reasons, but I think you know that is absolutely one of the tools in his toolbox. Look, I don't, I don't know enough about this person to know if he will or not. You know, It seems like, like Donald Trump likes him. It seems like Donald Trump has one goal in mind. It seems like Donald Trump decides to sort of vet people because he feels like he was burned by Jeff Sessions. So at a minimum, I believe he had to have gotten an assurance from Whitaker that he would not recuse himself from this investigation. And maybe even more, and maybe even, you know, I'm speculating, but maybe even some kind of wink and a nod or even something explicit from Whitaker, because I think nothing is impossible here. Something from Whitaker, something from Whitaker saying, you know, I'm going to rein in Bob Mueller. 
And by the way, it would be good to know. Can I be even happened. more cynical? Yeah. Um, It'll be a race to the bottom of cynicism here on this conversation. Good but, grief. you know, I don't think Sessions hired him. Do you think Sessions is? No. A, no. I think he was imposed on Sessions. I agree. Which can happen. I, you know, people may not appreciate this either. Unlike the case with you, maybe this was the case with you, when you were the Attorney General of New Jersey. I insisted that I hired my team. Now, the way it works in, in federal government often is you know, the White House has a role in deciding who the top officials are, not just the Senate confirmed one. So in other words, the, the attorney general, depending on who the president is and how powerful the attorney general is, doesn't pick the deputy attorney Absolutely general. Absolutely right. Doesn't, you know, Eric Holder did not yep. pick me. The White House picked me. Yeah. So I, I think it's, I think it's just worth, you know, noting because I don't, th- this didn't happen. You know, the president didn't wake up yesterday and move all these pieces on the chessboard. This has been in the works and they've definitely had a person at a high level in the department who's been their person in my view. And again, we're being a little bit cynical, but I, I think there's a lot of historical precedent for it. There's a lot of reason to be cynical. So let's take the most extreme example of what Whitaker could do. It is in Whitaker's authority, is it not, uh, tomorrow to fire Bob Mueller, correct? You're getting to the heart of where I think these <laughs> right. questions lie, which is if he has good cause, yes. And, you know, Rosenstein has said multiple times that he's never seen anything in the course of the investigation that would provide that good cause for, for Mueller to be fired. And remember that if he's fired, a report does go to the Judiciary Committees in the, in the Congress to basically say why he's fired and what the cause of that was. And they could absolutely push back. And, and again, Rosenstein has made this public record that there's been no good cause for firing Mueller. To answer your question, could he wake up today, tomorrow, and do it? The answer is yes, but I, I don't think it stands. The president is playing a political chess match, and I, and I think the president always – he always has an end game. There's always a transactional aspect of this. And, you know, he could have taken this move and, and forced Sessions out a year ago. He did not. You know, he's let this go. He would like to be exonerated by it. He's played a political game up to this point, and how Whitaker plays, I think, will be informed a little bit by – by the facts of where we are. And we're at a point where Mueller has been investigating for more than a year. He's indicted a large number of people, U.S. citizens and and foreign nationals. And I think he's poised to wrap this up pretty soon. I mean, do you think Whitaker will fire? That's obviously the most extreme option, but is that the option he's going to take? I I think anything is possible. I've I've gone past the point where I think there's rationality. The president is really angry. That press conference he gave yesterday was extraordinary even for him. And if it is true, as some people have been suggesting, that other people close to the president are in jeopardy and possibly could be uh, charged with crimes, I really think anything is possible. You, you know where I think Full that meltdown. particularly comes into play is with his uh, with Jared Kushner and Donald Trump Jr. Because I think you're right, and I you know we've seen this in other cases where people's families are involved, whether it's a spouse or a child, and it it is absolutely the most devastating thing for someone to watch a family member potentially be charged. Yeah. So, so here, here are a few other things while, while we're at it about how Whitaker could undermine the investigation. Look, he could go up to Bob Mueller and say, now that he's in this position, I want to know everything that's going on. I want to know what the pending possible charges are. I want to know what the time frame is. I think you need to rein in this aspect of it, rein in that aspect of it. And then, just to pick one example of a thing, he could report all of that back to the president, could he not? He, Whitaker, can tell the president and the vice president about all of this. What's, pre- what's preventing that as a statutory legal matter? Well, th- so, so there are a lot of facts we would need to know to, to know whether or not he could do that, including whether it's grand jury material, right? So grand jury material, he cannot tell the president. What we don't know sitting here, 
I assume Mueller has it has been in the grand jury extensively yes. that, you know, when we talk about people like whether it's Roger Stone or Jared Kushner or Donald Trump Jr., when we talk about some of the people who I think are outstanding in the investigation, I have no question that they've been doing work around it. Whether those people get charged or not may not have gone to a grand jury yet for a final decision. But I, I suspect that there's been a lot of grand jury work around those individuals. Grand jury information, as you and I know, if you're a witness in a grand jury, you can talk about it publicly. You probably... It, the Mueller team probably doesn't want you to talk about it publicly, but we've seen examples, particularly recently with Roger Stone's friends coming out and saying, here's what they asked me. Here are the kinds of questions they're asking me. That's lawful. What's not lawful under Rule 6 is for any prosecutor to go out and to talk about with anybody about secret grand jury material. All true. Depends on who's policing it. And it depends on the ethics of the party who is seeking the information. And in this case, the ethics of the president are in great question. And the ethics of Whitaker, t- to my knowledge, are unknown. And there are, all, there are all sorts of ways that you can wink and nod and give information inappropriately, even if you don't technically violate the grand jury secrecy laws of, of Rule 60, as, as we call it. So what does Mueller do if that happens? Because I, I, I think you're it's right. A great Let's question. play it out a little, because I think you're right that it's very possible Matt Whitaker walks in and says to the president, here's everything they've done in the investigation. Here's what's coming next. Here's who they're looking to charge. What does Mueller do? In many ways, people have wondered how Mueller has prepared for this. And my view is that he's just kept his head down and their indictments, if they're sealed, they're sealed because there's a a good reason. And he brought the indictments not to race ahead of the firing of Jeff Sessions, but to get ahead of sort of, um, you know, any way in which his investigation might be shut down, but only if he had the law and the facts. I don't think he was, you know, going in to the grand jury and, and getting indictments filed based on feeble evidence because he was worried about getting shut down. And just to be clear, a sealed indictment means simply that it's not public, that it has been ordered sealed, as the word suggests. By the court. By the court, um, until such time as it's appropriate to make it public. And you do that sometimes when you are you file indictments against, which we used to do all the time, against someone who's known to be a fugitive. So if they knew that there was an indictment against them, they wouldn't come back to the jurisdiction. Right. So, so on the question of what Mueller does, if Whitaker walks into his office and says, I want you to shut this aspect of the investigation down, I think Mueller says, I'm not going to do that. I think Mueller says... I've read the authorization of my office, and this is how I read it. And if you want to stop me, you're going to have to get something more strong than the the word of a potentially ethically compromised, uh, conflicted acting attorney general to get me to shut down what is lawful and authorized. And I think we should talk about the scope right now, just for a minute, of the, the letter from Rosenstein to yes. Mueller basically authorizing the investigation. It is broad. I mean, it's it's cabined by this idea that they're investigating this conspiracy surrounding the election. But there is specific language in there, which Whitaker has publicly questioned. But there is specific language in there basically saying in any crimes and matters that come out of that. Yeah, anything that arises from it. And Whitaker wrote this op-ed where he said, you know, if the reports are true, that personal finances are being looked at, that crosses some red line. I don't actually understand how he could say that. It makes no sense. Not knowing... A, Anything about the investigation. Yeah, A, yeah. W- whether those things are actually being looked at because it's just reports in the media, and B, how it came about. So you also, walk into someone's... Can yeah. I, yeah, I mean, it's impossible to think that he was a real U.S. attorney and would say that also. And and I'll just I'll just be blunt about it. You know, you send a police officer into a house, say, you know, domestic violence, 911 call, police officer is invited into the house and sees meth everywhere. That police officer is absolutely entitled to make an arrest based on that meth, yes. right? And to take that evidence. And there's no rule, nor will there ever be a rule that a police officer goes in and can only do, or a law enforcement agent can only look at the one thing that they were specifically sent for. The example you see in the movies all the time is, you know, there's a car stop 
because there's a traffic violation or there's suspicion of marijuana, and they they say, open the trunk, and there's a body in the trunk. Right. The argument that the driver should not be responsible or held accountable for the body in the trunk is crazy, outrageous, and stupid, and a lot of people are making this argument. And the thing that worries me about Whitaker is that that is a pure politics argument. There is nothing about the rule of law, but that reading of the scope is implausible to anyone who has been a prosecutor or law enforcement agent. And I will say this on the scope. Some of the news media yesterday made it seem like Mueller can't do anything without going in the past to Rosenstein or now to the attorney general. That That's just no. not the case at all. Whitaker would have to significantly change the scope to rein Mueller in, in some of the ways we've just talked about, which I don't think he's going to do. Right. But he could. He could do right? it. I mean, no question. You know, that's not the Bible. It's not the, it's not the Constitution. It's a letter. It's a letter. And he now has that position. He could change it. But, but not only that, the Mueller investigation is not the only thing going on in the world, in the world of law enforcement. Whitaker has said other things, too. He's talked about Hillary Rodham Clinton and how she got a, a pass. He could if he wanted to, and if the president sort of was urging him to, open a new investigation of Hillary Clinton. Absolutely. Could he, not? Right? he could. Do you as, think that's a as possibility? As long as the statute of limitations hasn't run, and I don't think it has, then he absolutely could. I do think it's a possibility because, again, I think you know the president has made it clear that he thinks that Hillary Clinton should, should have been investigated. And so, look, that would be a sure tell, I think, of politics trumping the rule of law and decisions that were made by a number of career officials about whether or not to charge. Um, and that's a very high-profile example, but there could be countless other things we're not even thinking about now, which he could impact the department. One thing we haven't talked about, we can talk about quickly, is on is the issue of recusal. We've mentioned all sorts of ways in which I think Whitaker has suggested he has prejudged the scope and propriety of the Mueller investigation. You know, the reporting I've seen suggests that there will there will be some opinion given by the internal ethics people. It doesn't look like that's been given yet. I find it hard to believe that they would say it's okay, but it's possible. I don't know all the facts. But in my view, given the stakes, separate and apart from technical ethical rules of the department, the appearance issue is enormous. You have no higher stakes criminal investigation and potential prosecution looming anywhere in the country, maybe even in recent history. And you have a person who came into power bypassing all these other folks, right, Rod Rosenstein and others, by an angry president who got rid of the prior attorney general on the ground that he didn't protect him from the Russia investigation. And this person, Whitaker owes himself, I think, and owes the public confidence in what happens with the Mueller investigation. And I don't see how that's possible. And I, I as U.S. attorney, from time to time, would have to consult with my ethics folks. Did you th- ever recuse? I did. And it was an occasion where I had a personal friend who was not just a lawyer for an entity, but was actually part of the, the business, uh, was on the board of directors of a company. And my ethics person said I didn't have to recuse the main ethics person, David Margolis, who was known as Yoda in the Justice Department there for That's 50 right. years, yeah. said I didn't have to recuse. And I thought about it, and I recused anyway, because I didn't you want didn't there want to the be... Appearance. I didn't want the appearance. And I think he shouldn't want the appearance. And the Justice Department suffers by the appearance, so I think he should recuse. I'm going to be cynical here again, but who are the ethics officers that are making the decisions at the department? If you told me that David Margolis was making the decision, I would say that I would feel very comfortable with Whitaker abiding by it, whatever that was. If you tell me that they've just hired an ethics person um, who's their political campaign aide, I would be really concerned about whether it's it's fair or not fair. And so I think there are a lot of questions around recusal. The other interesting thing about all this we talked about already with respect to the House changing hands, and that doesn't happen for a couple of months, on the on the Stay Tuned podcast, I discussed with David Axelrod, a Ron Klain column in the Washington Post that says, you know what, 
the House Democrats should, should cool their heels a little bit, 100 days, no subpoenas. That seems to me impossible. And Trump is going to make it impossible for the Democrats not to launch an investigation given the conduct that he's engaging in. I think that's right. I think yesterday was a checkmate. Essentially, the Democrats take control of the House. They have the authority to issue subpoenas and start investigations. And what does Trump do? He pushes Sessions out. He puts his own loyalist in as attorney general. And, you know, he's he's asserting his control. The president is is framing every issue and that a lot of the debate takes place on the grounds that he sets. Right. And so here, this is a question for the Democratic Congress. But how do they make sure that the rule of law gets upheld and what the right thing to do? It may be to to cool their heels for 100 days. It may not be. And I agree with you that given what the president has just done, you know, they may have no choice. Yeah, they may have no choice. Um, Who's the next attorney general going to be? Among the people being floated about is Chris Christie, former governor of New Jersey, former U.S. attorney from New Jersey. Yes. What do you think about that? So I've heard a couple of names. I heard Christie yesterday. Christie might have put his name forward. We don't know. I think what happens frequently is people start to come out of the woodwork and say, hey, I'd be interested in that job. They float their own names. They float their names. So (laughs) I, I want us to all be cautious about, you know, reading too much into the public reporting. You know, look, Chris is a really interesting example of someone who was not also involved in law enforcement at all before he became the U.S. attorney. He was the chief fundraiser for George W. Bush. And then that that catapulted him in as the U.S. attorney. He was the U.S. attorney when I was AG. Aside from, from Chris Christie, you know, Lindsey Graham's name has been mentioned, and he certainly has seemed to act different publicly in the yeah. past six months than, than we've seen him in the past, having worked in the Senate and Chris, seen him. Chris Kobach. Chris Kobach, who's, right. Who's the failed gubernatorial candidate from Kansas who believes everyone's engaged in voter fraud. Yes. And so I would be surprised if we land on Whitaker, in part because I don't think he's qualified to do the job, and in part because I think that there are going to be so many people out there that are Trump loyalists who are going to you know, fit the bill that, that are potential for them to go in. But I do think that Trump probably already has a shortlist and probably already has an idea of who he's going to put in. I, I don't think they make these moves without having played out a lot of these, of these sort of questions. Well, they've had a long time because Trump has been talking about getting rid of Sessions for a long time. Final final pessimistic note, as I was walking over here, I saw a report that Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, notorious RBG, fell in the court and broke three ribs and she's been hospitalized. So, you know, things are precarious in the world. We're sending her all our best thoughts and prayers. And, and look, she's a strong lady. I watched her do push-ups on Colbert. So <laughs> my money is on her. Yeah. She's going to have those doctors running around. But but yes, it's as important as it's ever been. The court is counting on her. Uh, the country is counting on her. And We wish the best for her and her family and for all of us. Yes. All right, and see you next week. See you soon. Cafe Insider is presented by Cafe. It's produced by the team at Pineapple Street Media, Kat Aaron, Chris Berube, Henry Malofsky, Courtney Harrell, Jenna Weiss-Berman, Joel Lovell, and Max Linsky. Our music is by Andrew Dost. And special thanks to Julia Doyle, Jeff Eisenman, Vinay Basti, and Tamara Sepper. I'm Preet Bharara. Stay tuned.